Okay, it looks like we're recording. So wanted to welcome everybody to uh, December's uh, Monroe Community Coalition meeting. We'll have folks filtering in. Welcome. Well, folks filtering in, I'm sure online and in person. And so we're just gonna have grace that everybody's where they need to be. Um, otherwise, I'd like to start introductions online. I'm going to stop sharing my screen so we can all see each other. Can everybody hear me okay? Yeah, great. Well, Chief Jolly, do you mind introducing yourself? Good afternoon. My name is Jeff Jolly. I'm the Chief of Police with Monroe Police Department. Been here approximately five years and proud to be able to work with this coalition and Joe Nigel and the rest of you to do our part to help sustain and be part of this community coalition and support our youth in this great effort. Uh, things are going well in our department. We have several new police officers, three laterals from surrounding agencies, and two new recruits that will be going to our police academy. Uh, we have had no significant or uh, notable increases in crime during the holiday season, so that is a good thing. And our department just won the Intercity Gingerbread House Contest wow. for 2023. So we're pretty stoked about that. And we that need pictures. Yeah. yeah. It needs to go on the newsletters. I'd like to see proof of this. Hi, Maddie. Good to see you here. Hi, uh, my name is Maddie Lauder. I'm a student assistance professional at Monroe High School. Uh, things have definitely been busy. The time between Thanksgiving and uh, winter break definitely have escalated student behaviors. We're actually getting more reports of harder drugs going around the school. So that's fun. Um, not really, I'm being sarcastic. Um, so yeah, my cup is definitely uh, running over, as you said. Yes. Yes. Well, welcome, Chris Jury. How are we all doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good. Do you have an update? I do. I do. Uh, I'm Chris Jury. I'm the prevention manager for the Northwest ESD. Um, and I have the great pleasure of making sure Maddie gets taken care of. And uh, we've got another person joining uh, our family out there. Uh, we will. Uh, have a new SAP at Park Place Middle School full-time for the remainder of the school year, and hopefully we'll identify some funding to uh, continue that afterward, uh, you know, after the end of the school year. But at least for in the short term, uh, that's a pretty big deal for us. So we are excited. Uh, that will start uh, after the break. Thank you, sir. Robin, I see you. Hi, Robin Cruz, uh, counselor at Monroe High School. Uh, we've been busy meeting with our sophomores. Um, also, we've started small group counseling um, on DBT skills. So that's what's going on here. Yeah, Robin, how was the training? So the coalition it was good. training, was it good? It was good, yes. Okay, and you've already Thank started you. groups? Yes. Dang, you're doing so much. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank 
Thank you. Uh, I see Alex. Hi, Alex. Hello. Yes, I am Alex Lober. Uh, I am the uh, soon-to-be new Assistant Director of Development at Helping Hands Ministries International. Okay, and we're going to hear from you in just a little bit. Yes, you will. I see Jim Bloss. Hi, Mr. Bloss. Morning, Joe and all. Uh, Jim Bloss, uh, representing NAMI's Nahomish County, and uh, we're getting ready for the to lobby down in Olympia sessions. Uh, next session's coming up, so we're uh, we're uh, getting all of our stuff together and going to go speak to our legislators next month. So that's we're busy with that. What are some of your priorities, Jim? Well, we're always open for, generally open for anything having to do with improvements in the behavioral health care system in the state of Washington. We really have a behavioral illness system in the state of Washington, you know, yeah. <laughs> as you're well aware. Yeah. So we're we're working that, and there's some new facilities coming in. There's crisis um, response, actually crisis relief centers. Like the one just or is going in up in Stanwood, and we're we're trying to get something back up in operation in Snohomish County because Compass closed down our triage center, the triage center there, which is which is a alternative to jail. And while they're while they're building their big uh, facility on uh, on uh, Broadway and uh, in in Everett, so. So we're we're those are those are kind of our priorities for the moment at least. Thank you. Thank we you. We see Amber. What's happening at Park Place? I am Amber Meta. I um, am the student support advocate at Park Place, and I also have two students in the district. Well, I have a lot of students in the district because I love all my babies. But my son is in ninth grade at the high school and my daughter is in second grade at Frank Wagner. So I'm an invested community member as well as an employee. And um, I'm very busy here wrapping things up before students go off to winter break. There's always lots of needs and I wanna make sure everyone's taken care of. And then as a parent, just getting ready for a really busy January, my son has a internship at Posados. He's going to start driving school. So we had, I do like to volunteer a lot, especially at the high school now that I can be on Bearcat Pride. So we haven't had too many sports to do concessions. And so I've had a little break, but starting in January, I'll start doing a lot of more basketball games. And I'd love to say hi to people when I see them in person. Thank you. And in the room, we have Morgan Crosby. Introduce yourself, Morgan. <laughs> Morgan Crosby. <laughs> um, I'm soon to be the former assistant director of development of Helping Hands. So Alex is going to be taking the baton from me and we'll, we'll talk to that in our. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Still happy to be here though. And um, I have with me today a very special guest who I was very glad to have a lunch with today and um, get to introduce all you lovely people. Okay. My name's Jess. <clears throat> I work for Sherwood Community Services and I'm new to Monroe. So I. Welcome. Right, another area. Stuff going on, and she invited me to come with her. And I'm like, you... I had to tell her I'm great in Rome. <laughs> she's like, well, I'm very, very new to Monroe. And I'm like, well, I am, but I don't live there, but I'm very excited to get you excited about Monroe. So I was like, you have to come to this awesome. group. They will make you feel excited about it. 
Can you tell us a little bit about Sherwood? So Sherwood is a nonprofit that serves Snohomish, Skagit, San Juan, and Island counties, and we have programs for people with disabilities. We do early support from birth to five before they go into the school, or birth to three, sorry, before they go into the school district, and then vocational for teens and adults. Wonderful. Wow. Great. Chris, so glad you're here. Thank you very much. Uh, Chris Gray, I'm on the uh, board of directors for Housing Hope. And um, I, I guess the important thing is that they just extended my term on the board until December 31st, 2025. They're never going <laughs> to let me go. <laughs> I don't know why. And um, we're also in uh, the process of developing our um, legislative calendar and, and uh, what we're going to be um, asking our legislators to uh, support. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, Pastor Michael. Yeah, so I'm Pastor Michael Hanford. I'm a chaplain with the Monroe Police Department for 28 years and a pastor, a coordinator of the Pastors Fellowship and uh, on the leadership team here with Joe, among other things I do in the community. <laughs> You're on so many things. Yeah. And our friend Dennis Smith joined us. Dennis, would you mind introducing yourself? If you're available. Okay, well, I'm going to share my screen once more, um, just so you can see where we're at. And uh, Morgan, you'll be up really shortly. Just know that my clicker is not working. So I have to advance the slides for you. Is that okay? Oh, yeah, that's all good. Okay. I was expecting that. And then uh, the agenda is really simple, trying to keep agendas simple to give us as much time to talk about something as we need or um, to save some time and get on to um, our work a, a little early. So um, we, we won't go over, but we might go under. Um, it's totally up to you. Um, we're going to spotlight Helping Hands, who's just um, um, dived headfirst into the community and are helping folks all over. Um, and then we closed our uh, annual community survey of adults on November 15th. We had 251 respondents, which puts us well in compliance with our contract expectations. And um, I'm just going to show some of the results to you and, and want to pick your mind. want to know what your gut says, what, what, where, where your thoughts lead you, and, and then we'll wrap up. So pretty simple uh, agenda today. Um, and we're going to move on with it. Morgan, I'm going to hand this over to you. Uh, well, my name is, should I stand or? You're okay. They can see you wherever you are. Uh, well, my name is Morgan. I am with Helping Hands Ministries International for the next two days. Um, it's been a wonderful two and a half, almost three years. I started um, as an intern with them, and I've learned so much about the world of nonprofit, both in our work and in the work of others. Jess is a great example of that, getting to work with partners and you just get to learn so much about the community. So, um, and then as well, I'm here today with Alex Lover. Well, I'm going to, oh, Alex, would you introduce yourself again? Yes, yeah. uh, Alex Lover, and I will be taking over from Morgan as the Assistant Director of Development at Helping Hands um, once she is done. And we're very sad to see her go, but uh, we're excited for her new opportunities. Can you go to the next slide? 
Yeah, so at Helping Hands, our goal is to provide opportunities and services for those in need so they can be self-sustaining, transform their lives, and be empowered and hopeful for the future. And many of you may know us um, as a collection of thrift stores, um, and that is true. That is probably the most forward-facing part of our organization is our, our four thrift stores, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But one of the things that we've uh, kind of had as a, a motto for the past year, and if you go onto our website, you'll see it right away. Um, it says more than a thrift store. And that's really what we are is we're so much more than just a thrift store. And we like to really get involved with the local communities that we're in and, and figure out ways to serve and, and partner with other people who are already serving the community. Um, so yeah, I'll let Morgan give a little history on, on Helping Hands. Yeah, so our team actually started with two. I'm sure there were more than that, but they were missionaries in Peru, Faith and Mansfield. They uh, were there and saw a need for education and for connection entrepreneur opportunities for women. Um, and realizing that a preschool would be a great way to lift and elevate the youth of that area to give them a head start. Um, we're very grateful to us. That was 1985 to have had uh, children go on from that and go into college, university, and go on to do amazing things. So it's been um, a, a wonderful thing to continue to support since its foundation. And uh, the sewing centers have done incredible things, and we'll talk more about that later. Um, but then illnesses came up, and they were realizing, well, Peru is not the best place to be able to receive care for that. Um, it makes a lot of sense for us to be able to come back to Washington. Well, now we're back in Washington, and we kind of just left everything that we started down there and put so much hard work into building this community. What are we going to do? And then the genius light bulb idea of a thrift store came into mind, and it birthed Helping Hands. Um, unfortunately, though, there are millions of Helping Hands all over, and we have to clarify, based off of search engine optimization, that we are not a few, but we are very grateful to be four. Um, here in Snohomish County. And um, the thrift store was born in 1992. It has been going strong. And um, from there, um, I believe the next slide, you'll get to see um, we've become four. So Alex is going to talk a little bit about that too. Yeah, so I think it's really important to understand why we even decide to run these thrift stores and why we've expanded to four of them. Um, and I think really the, the crux of it is that they're the building blocks for our outreach. Um, they, they really give us a reason to be serving in those cities and a direct link to impact those local communities. Uh, and so we're really excited because we just opened up this year our brand new Monroe location. Um, and so we've already been using it as a means to get involved in, in the local community in Monroe, and we look forward to seeing where else it can take us um, in ways that we can, can serve the community here in Monroe. And um, just like Alex explained, the fact that we have four cities allows us to have a wider reach. Um, you can see here uh, Arthur on the left and Lou on the right. Um, 
want to go back. Oh, sorry. sorry. You're good. Uh, so they are lifting diapers out of our box truck. And that box truck serves many purposes. It can be um, from lugging uh, different items between the thrift stores because it won't sit on the Lake Stevens floor, but it will in Monroe. And so it'll make its way here. Um, or we've done a diaper drive for Two Hearts and Everett, and you're going to be able to drop off it, which is now a very empty truck, but would be filled from back to front, floor to ceiling, um, with diapers that have been donated um, by guests of the thrift store. So all of that is purchased by people who come in. Lots of different ways that we've been able to reach out to the community. So we're figuring, well, the best way to be able to explain all of that reach is through our pillars. So that's our next slide. Um, it, it became something that Pippinghams had uh, lots of hats on, too many pies in front of us. We had to be able to say, okay, what is it that we serve? Where Because we know we don't do everything, but we do a lot. Where are those specific regions that we do serve and touch? Homeless outreach, moms and kids, addiction recovery, fighting hunger, and the environment tended to be where we saw a lot of our service ending up. So homeless outreach, if you live in the Pacific Northwest and have been out of your house for any amount of time, you know that this is something that is very heavily affecting many of our community members. And thankfully, though, is also something that a lot of other nonprofits, including ourselves, are able to work with. And so we have different uh, nonprofits. Take the Next Step is actually a great example of the first and second pillar, working with families who are experiencing homelessness. And that directly affects moms and kids. Um, being able to support community groups like that. Um, we also, if you're familiar with Pacific Northwest, and we've been talking about struggles with housing hope, addiction recovery is something that we also are very familiar with. Um, the, the piece of it is that we get to be able to be a part of the hope that comes with that type of work, right? So the Damascus House is a great example of that. They are based out of Woodenville. And they actually will come into stores at certain points in time and get clothing items. The uh, women's house has an entire closet of things that have been donated to helping the girls. And um, many of the other nonprofits we work with, as we are in communication with them and building those partnerships and figuring out how we can support one another, addiction recovery comes up very creatively. And so we found that that tends to be something that we can't avoid it. And so it's really awesome that we get to partner with people who are doing something about it. And then fighting hunger, the Sky Valley Food Bank is an awesome example of having wide reach. They do not serve just Monroe, they serve a very large area. And um, in conversation with the director of the food bank, he was very adamant and excited that we were going to be able to fill the need of like, well, people need coats or people very generously but very misguidedly want to donate physical things like that to the food bank. They need every square inch of that food bank. Okay. They do not have room to have a closet like the Damascus House can. That, that service fits in another realm, but not at the food bank. So when we were able to say, well, we'll act as your closet, Send people our way. They're three minutes away. It's a little bit longer if you're to walk, but you could. They're that close to Main Street. So to be able to say that that's something that we can support is awesome. And then the environment is something that you support by shopping at Helping Hands or any thrift store. Just inadvertently, if you're not aware of that, it actually takes less carbon to not produce something. And so because you didn't have to ship it, you picked it up yourself at the store. And nobody had to make a second one. You saved a lot of carbon that way. We have a gigantic recycling program. If we can't recycle it, we'll find a way to maybe figure out how we can. And even then, um, once 
I've lost audio from that group. I don't know if anyone else can hear them. Yes, I lost audio as well. That's wonderful. Can you hear us? Oh, we can. All right. Oh, okay. I can't see you. Yeah, I'm working on it. It's so weird that the meeting room stayed open. Our 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 computer just rebooted, just spontaneously. Ah, uh, the joys of technology. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> exactly what we said. It's going to take a minute for the. Uh, Oh, sorry. I need to. I need to upload our. I'm so sorry, you guys. I promise. I wasn't messing around. <laughs> uh, let me get the presentation loaded up, and then we can continue at least from there. While I'm working on the camera. Oh, sorry, guys. We're almost there. Close. We don't need it to do that. Uh, slideshow. Almost there. Let me share my screen. Oh, who's the host? Who let me in? The host, whoever... Oh. I think it might have been Robin. Oh. Robin, are you the host? Oh, we can't hear you. Sorry. 
think she's trying to get it. Is the camera also no, because that's the microphone, right? Yeah, that's that's the mic and that's the mic. So I'm gonna go unplug that. Uh let me see if I can share a screen. No, anybody anybody who pushed the admit button when I rejoined, when we rejoined. If you push the admit button, uh Maybe you can, would you let me share my screen? Or we can all log off and log right back on. So I was the one that, I don't know how, but it showed that. Yes, I was the one who let you back in. <laughs> you have the power. I don't know how. I don't know either. <laughs> yeah, it, it. Would, you, would you let me share my screen, Robin? Since you're the boss? Um uh, sorry, hold on. I'm I'm using my phone, so oh. I think if you select participants, Robin, you can count mm -hmm. Joe's name and it should say make co-host or make host. Okay, there we go. Thank you. Ooh. Morgan and Robin to the rescue. I appreciate you guys so much. Okay, let me share my screen really quick. And then we'll get you right back to where we were. Okay, well, we're, we're all wrapped up with there. So we'll go on to the next slide. And Alex is going to talk more about uh, the gift cards and the registered fundraising programs. So. Okay. As if there was no break whatsoever. <laughs> Thank you. You guys are amazing. <laughs> Not a problem. Yeah, so our, our gift card program and our register fundraiser program are um, two of our big ways that we serve our partners, especially. Um, and so our gift card program, essentially what it is, is uh, we just give batches of gift cards to our partners. Um, so take Damascus House or take the next step. They work with a lot of clients who may be struggling with addiction recovery um, or coming out of homelessness. And so they don't have a whole lot to their names. And so they can on a, you know, they, they know the needs of their clients. And so when they see, see a need, they will take one of the gift cards that we have given to them, give it to their clients, and then their clients can come and shop at a, at a Helping Hands store and find clothing or whatever it is they need to start helping them get back on their feet. And one thing that was really cool um, just during um, the end of November was Giving Tuesday. And so we did our uh, Giving Tuesday campaign. And so for a couple of weeks, we shared on social media just a bunch of stories of that our partners had shared with us about how people had been impacted by our gift card program um, and there were just these beautiful stories of people who felt like they had lost all of their hope they'd lost everything and then had a helping hands gift card in their hands and then were able to use that to you know there was one story that a lady was able to use a gift card to go buy some nice clothes for a job interview that she had um, and so it's just very simple tangible things like that that the gift card program is so essential for. And it really helps tie into why 
our thrift stores are so important because if we didn't operate the four thrift stores, the gift card program would be, you know, unnecessary. Um, and so it just really helps um, give a, a, a really strong reason as to why our thrift stores are so important. And then the register fundraiser, it, it's um, kind of along the same lines. We Every month we take one of our partners and we, uh, w- I, if you're shopping at one of our thrift stores, we'll just ask at the register if you want to donate round up to the nearest dollar or donate a certain amount um, to help out whatever partner it is. And so all the funds raised through that go straight to our partners. Um, and so for example, in November, we partnered with um, a few different food banks and we raised over $3,700 um, that we then gave out to a few of the food banks in the area. And so it just, again, it's another reason of why our thrift stores are so important for us um, because without that, we wouldn't be able to raise I mean, $3,700 in one month for food banks. Um, that's just really, really special to, to be a part of um, and a really easy way for us to, to serve our community through our thrift stores. Um, so, and then I think Morgan's going to talk a little bit um, about what we do in, in Peru. So, a more next young, love in action, uh, very appropriately named. Uh, Coco and Maddie are our directors there, if you will. They are the lifeblood of ensuring that kids will still be able to be educated, that women will still have a place to go and commune and to learn skills that will be valuable for them for many, many years to come. Um, we can go to the next slide. We can actually see some pictures of people that it's a little bit more meaningful when we see faces rather than a flag. Um, when we were there just a few summers ago, we were, it was post-pandemic for us. Uh, still a very scary time for them. Masks were very, very much in effect when we had kind of leaned off of that. And so for us to be able to come and say, we are still here, we still care about you, we have not forgotten you, pandemic has not put a divider in between us, we still are here, we want to be a part of the ministry. And so as we were there too, a little bit of uh, the communication got lost in translation and we didn't realize we were going to, we thought we were going to visit the sewing centers. No, no, we were going to reopen them while we were there. So not only did we get to go and visit and see these faces of women who were going to be able to come together, uh, both in an entrepreneurial sense to learn skills, you can see them, you know, very intently all learning. They make incredible things. Um, the shipping of that to here, we're still figuring out. We'll get there eventually, but they get to come together and uh build themselves up. They get to come together spiritually and have um, faith connection with that as well. Um, in a country that is very uh, patriarchal, women are not lifted up. And so to be able to be a part of lifting women is really beautiful work. And we're sitting there in the summer and we're done working at the preschool. We're all in a kind of our grubby clothes and they're like, let's take a picture with everybody at the brand new opening. And we're like, it was hitting us the weight of that moment realizing, wow, we are here at the beginning of something that's going to change these women's lives. This is really, really cool. And so, again, the beauty of the thrift store, the thrift store, we're more than that, but it's always present. <laughs> Even when we're there in Peru, we will take 50 pound uh, checked bags of nothing but sewing notions, fabric, all the zippers and buttons and brand new needles and things that they probably could find somewhere there, but they're going to be a little bit cheaper if they're free from us. Yeah. So um, that and the just the physical act of giving that gift. So, hey, we see what you're doing is valuable. 
I do want to lift you up and be here with that. And to be able to see a tiny little eight year old woman just <gasps> light up at the sight of yarn is <laughs> a beautiful thing. And then um, in beginning, so close to uh, end of March, beginning of April of this year, they did have some natural disasters that led to flooding and um, some devastation in certain parts of the of Trujillo, which is on the western coast of Peru, where the, the schools and the uh, sewing centers are at. And because of that, that meant that water was, you know, pipes are broken, water access is gone. And only water access is a guy driving around in a truck with really, really expensive water bottles because all of a sudden there's a huge need. And what we were able to do is tap into, quite literally, the well that is on the campus of the preschool and utilize that. You can see people filling up buckets there to provide for the community around the preschool. So people were able to come. There was a charge, but minimal compared, literally operating costs, um, but minimal compared to what it would have been for them to get water from somewhere else. And so for that to be a community hub, there was very minimal damage to the preschool, um, which was awesome because we had been there previously to help um, those tires in the front. I don't know if you can see but on the left side of the truck there, I, I painted those. <laughs> um, so they look good to see, they're still doing good. Um, but uh, those kind of things of like, we it's very important to us to have a long lasting sustainable relationship, just like we create ones here, but to have that there because it's very easy to throw money at poverty in the, in the developing nation and just walk away. But it's a very different thing to say, we want to walk with them. So, um, and then that's, so that's our international side and Alex is gonna wrap up by telling us about how you can stay in touch with us. Yeah, so, Staying in touch with us, um, we have five different Facebook pages. No, it's a lot. Um, and only one Instagram page. Um, so if you're on Facebook or Instagram, you can go and follow. We have a main ministry page on Facebook. Um, and so that's how you keep in touch with anything going on on the ministry side of things. Um, and those will also be posted on the Instagram as well. So the Instagram kind of functions as a, as a ministry page as well. And then we also have four pages, one for each of the stores that we operate. And so if you want more specific details on new items coming into the store or anything um, fresh and fun happening there, um, then go and follow those pages. Um, and some of that stuff gets posted to the Instagram as well. Um, or you can find us online, helpinghandsmi.org. Or uh, if you scan the code there, you can get on the email list or you can do it from from the website as well um yeah thank you guys for uh listening to our presentation um i don't know that i am grateful to be a part of this organization and morgan is as well even though she's only got two days left she's making the most of it um, oh. so yeah yeah, yeah. We've, been, we've been talking about our um apartments that we have um that people need like apartment um, furniture and, and you know kitchen stuff and we're thinking oh we're gonna have to find a storage unit is there a way we could partner we give you stuff that's donated to us and then our people just go in and find what they need yeah using so, the cars is that how that works it is exactly how that works Whoa. so you you've described the model of helping <laughs> so 
Um, that's a great example of actually how um, South Pathways and Everett operate, because I know that Housing Public Police mainly operates out of Everett. Or yes, that's where our headquarters are. So but we're all over the camp. Yeah, and it's very similar uh, to a lot of the other uh, organizations that we work with that can't physically hold the items. Yeah. So take the next steps just down the way. They operate out of a really small house. Yeah. You know, it's it's a great, you feel very comfortable and safe when you come in to meet them, but they don't have the opportunity to keep all of, you know, a brand new bed frame or to keep clothes and that kind of thing. So what um, happens in that situation, uh, they do have gift cards and they have one of the highest return rates, being down the block helps. Um, but for them to be able to uh, receive aid and things that they need, they get the gift cards, they give those to clients who they can come and get stuff, and then that takes the weight off of their nonprofit from having to uh, store items, from having to, you know, figure out what might work in the future, oh, we should keep a bunch of this stuff, and it's like, maybe, but if there's an option for them to be close by and to do that kind of thing, it's, yeah, absolutely. And we do have um, the box truck image always comes in helpful because it will remind me um, that in Everett, we do have partners in there and we will make rounds into Everett uh, to drop off. We don't usually sell uh, newborn or preemie clothing because we have partners that deal directly with clients who are always looking for that stuff. So if there's niche items like that that we know, okay, they will need this all the time. And so that's on our route. And so if you guys need to be put on the route, that's just a simple email and, and we'll get you figured out how we can do one. Yeah. Wow. So you're thinking we're gonna have to find something like rent a storage units. Oh yeah. And yeah. then too, in that situation where it's like it's costly That's to nonprofits to have to do yeah. that right? And so for us to be able to still operate as a store, because yeah. maybe that item was not needed and it wouldn't have been needed for months. That's yeah. months of money going to exactly. a for-profit business that's you know doesn't need you, you guys need dollars elsewhere. Yeah. Any questions on Zoom for, oh, there you go. I see you, Amber, for Morgan or Alex. Yeah, no, I appreciate you chatting about that because as a resource provider, and I have just been doing a lot of stuff for many years in the community, I mean, probably at least once a week, somebody randomly is like, where can I donate these clothes? People have a really hard time letting go of their stuff and don't realize, like, it's so important to them, but it's really not important when they move on with the stuff. And so, like, they have, I, people do not want to, donate it they want to give it to somebody that they know and I, I just have the hardest time so it's good to know like your parameters and so because I get that question constantly and I am a big person who go I go to Goodwill and St. Vincent's all the time because I'm like nope it's it's over with we, it's not that precious so thanks for saying oh, and, and I can talk to that too Amber because we are a partner of the Monroe School District Foundation so yeah. they they have our gift cards. So if that's ever a thing, if somebody's really doesn't, not that they don't believe you, but, but they want to give it right away, you can say, if you give it to Helping Hands, it will likely still end up to somebody within the school district or somebody within Monroe. Um, one, because it's locally, that's where most people would be shopping is their closest thrift store. And um, the they have our, the Monroe School District Foundation having our gift cards, they'll be able to go that way. So being a partner like that, it's like, Oh, well, actually, you are still giving it to me. I'm not holding it, but it will still end up, I'll still be able to utilize that resource. Yeah, and I've given um, students and families the gift cards, too, as well. And so, and even the stuff I have, I do have stuff in my space, but I it doesn't move that fast. And I have really generic things, but people, and people still try to bring me stuff to my office. And I'm like, please, I have so much stuff. So it is good. Yes, I like that. 
what the wording that you said. Thank you. Yeah, the food bank was a great example of that because it's like you don't you don't need to keep coats. You need to keep boxes of cereal and other things that actually need the floor space. And so it's to be able to say that because people do want to get they really, really do. And so um, there, there is a Monroe, there's a few community Facebook groups. And for a while I was the one pushing, like, cause I'd always go in there and people were always asking your exact point, Amber, where can I donate stuff? And for the first few months, it was always other places. And now I don't have to say anything. And people from the community who I don't know are suggesting helping hands, go to helping hands, go to helping hands. So it's very, very wonderful to feel that, uh, Monroe welcome that way. Where do you drop off? At the, at the Monroe store. Yeah, perfect, perfect question. <laughs> so Destination Alley is right behind, so you arrive when you hit the destination. And um, the you can come in through the front if you know you're going to be shopping and you have a small item that way. Um, but through the back, and donations are open from ten to five every day, or every day that we're open. So we're closed on Sundays, um, but that uh, will allow for hopefully people in the afternoons because I know that. You know, it can be hard to donate when your window is 10 to, 10 to 11 and then 1 to 2. Or, you know, we try and we've extended it. We've been able to hire more people on at the thrift store. Um, so then those hours are more inclusive of families. Great. Thank you. Any other questions for Morgan before we move on? Okay. Well, I want to welcome you, Alex. Uh, are you local? Will you be able to join us? Yes, I will normally. Had some health complications this week, but I will. Uh, I look awesome. forward to being there in person. We look forward to seeing you. Um, I'm going to share my screen one more time. Oh, in my. Still my same field. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, uh, for the months of October and November, uh, we were collecting surveys from uh, adults who lived or worked in Monroe. Uh, in the newsletter I sent out, if you got that in your email, you can click through to this presentation and you can click through uh, to the actual SurveyMonkey results. So those are all there for you to investigate on your own. And that's just right in the newsletter if you select the survey. While we're looking at some of the data, I, I just want to encourage you to interact with it. So I, I tend to look at data using this ORID process. What do I know about what we're looking at? Um, we're asking you to be reflective. So when you see the data, how does it make you feel, right? So subjective, what do we know? Reflective, how do we feel about it? What's your reaction? Interpretive, once we get over our reaction, uh, what issues and challenges does that data bring up? What does it mean for us? Is there potential action that we want to take? And then at the end, um, as we share, um, I, I want to make sure that um, everything that we talk about is a potential action item. So if you have a good idea, if you have a, a, a gut feeling about something, it, it'd be cool to um, just bring it up today and we can record that. And, and maybe talk about it um, when more people are back after the holidays. Um, wanted to remind you that uh, all of our investments are based on the risk and protective factor model that was developed at the University of Washington in the 90s. And that our kids right now, this is still 2021 data. We won't have 2023 data until 
really April. They promise the end of March every year, um, but we won't have access to it until data. But you can see in these green areas, um, we fare better than uh, school districts like us and our statewide counterparts. So we have a very protected community compared to other communities right now. There were only two areas um, when we looked at this data a couple of years ago and built our strategic plan around it, where we were really vulnerable. Uh, and that was um, coming out of the pandemic, uh, Monroe students showed um, less commitment to school than their peers around the state. And we saw higher um, uh, rates of favorable attitudes towards substance abuse. And so a lot of the programs that we have are designed to increase that commitment to school or develop um, different attitudes towards substance abuse or um, some of the others. And then you can see on the right side, even though, um, so when we look at this school domain, even though lack of commitment to school in eighth grade was an issue, you can also see in green, our protective barrier, the protective factors that reduce these risk factors that buffer against them are really strong. And so um, we have lots of opportunities for involvement and recognition in, in our schools. Um, but I'm gonna move on. So I just wanted to let you know that in the background, we've invested in reducing those risk factors and strengthening those protective factors uh, the demographics were smaller this year. I, I really thought that we'd have a low turnout, maybe even uh, too low to um, satisfy our contract requirements because we've been doing a lot of surveying this year with new leadership in the district, with the strategic plan, with trying to get the, the pulse on, on what's happening with our um, panorama surveys going out to students and parents. I, I was afraid that we wouldn't... Um, um, sorry, satisfy our requirements, but we did. Uh, we had 251 total respondents. You can see that our respondents are primarily white. Um, we did have an increase from 8% to 11% with regard to um, Hispanic population. 35 households um, uh, spoke a language other than English at home. So that was growth for us as well. Um, you can see that most survey respondents uh, had some college or actually had a degree, whether that was a bachelor's or postgraduate degree. So the majority of respondents um, have high education. Uh, women were the most likely to respond. Only 15% of respondents were male. Uh, we had one transgender responder and one questioning responder. That constitutes about a half a percent. And so those are our demographics. Every year, we want to see this number go up. Um, and uh, it's, it's nice to see progress. So two years ago, we had 6%. Uh, one year last year, we had 8%. And this year, we had 11%. So even though it's not where we want to be, it's, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. So that, that, that data that um, is really important to our work it's, it's the level of concern that adults in the community have for problems facing youth. And for the eighth, or for, so in, in eight of the last nine years of the survey, uh, mental health is our community's number one concern. Um, and that's true. So uh, that streak continues here. Uh, entering right before the pandemic, the number one concern was vaping 
and then uh, depression and uh, bullying and suicidality. And you'll see this year, um, uh, mental health issues are, are, are right back on there. So I, I apologize for how small this is, but we asked parents, how, or we asked people in the community how concerned they were about youth alcohol use, whether or not they were riding with somebody who was drinking and driving, marijuana use, and whether or not they were riding with somebody um, who was using marijuana, uh, prescription medicine misuse, other drugs, and, and um, the other drugs have written responses for other drugs people were concerned about, tobacco vaping, and then on this right-hand side, um, vaping, 81, almost 82% of um, adults who responded to the survey were concerned about youth vaping. Uh, almost, uh, sorry, 87% concerned about youth depression. 60, almost 68% uh, of adults in our community are concerned about youth suicidality. 86% of adults in the community are concerned about bullying and the same number concerned about um, online bullying and social media bullying. So what emerges again is vaping, uh, mental health, and bullying. And these, this has been a consistent trend over the years. So when we're talking about the ORIN process, if you're still on with me, I, I'm wondering what your gut reaction is to this. What we know, we know depression and mental health are a priority in, in our community. We know that about 30% uh, of youth in general report, I'm sorry, about 38% of youth in general report being so depressed um, um, over uh, the past two weeks. So, so depressed that they stop engaging in their usual activities. So pretty clinical um, definition of that. And um, yeah, Chris, I saw you put your camera on. Any gut feeling? I'm unsure. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I I don't think it's a surprise. And I, I will be fascinated to see how it aligns with um, what our young people tell us is actually going on with them. Um, yeah. I, I've noticed in other communities now, we're getting to the... Uh, as some social problems start to accelerate or, or change a little bit, we're getting to the sky is falling sort of routine part of yep. this cycle uh, where it's easy for adults to get very upset and very pearl clutchy uh, about things. Um, and it will be interesting to see which of these things aligns with what's actually going on for our young people and, and which do not. And I, I think our concerns are going to be markedly different. Yes. And yes. measuring device for that is the Healthy Youth Survey. Yeah, and I'm going to show you in the, ne in the next slide, I'm going to show you how, because this is what this is measuring is adult perception. So what do we think is happening? How are we feeling about what's going on? You know, also... Um, if we were going to go to the community or the district or the coalition was going to take on some type of initiative, what's the community going to receive the best? What could they get behind? And right now it's vaping, depression, or mental health and bullying. But but Chris is absolutely right. 
Let me show you what this actually looks like. So in, in April, I'll replace the orange bars with the new data. But what you're seeing right here is, okay, so um, sorry, this on this page, what I combined was the not worried at all or very low worry. That's the light green bar. And then the um, moderate worry or it's a moderate, we think it's a moderate problem or a serious problem. So we either have not a problem in the light green or it's a it's a moderate or serious problem in, in that center bar is in blue. What you see is number of people who don't know. They, they just don't have the feel one way or the other. And I always include don't know because that's good data. It means it's not reaching them where they're at. And so um, we see that. Um, what I pulled out for the next slide is just those adults who responded that these issues are a serious problem. So I took out moderate and everything else, and we see the same things are a serious problem when we only look at a serious problem as the moderate and serious combined. But what you see here is the percentage of adults in green who told us this is a serious problem, and then the actual use rates on our most recent healthy use survey data, which again is 2021, we'll have new data in April. But you can see that perception always outweighs use, right? And so um, uh, a quarter of adults in Monroe are, are concerned that youth are using tobacco, but less than 2% actually reported that they were. And we believe this is very reliable data. On the other hand, um, you see much more concern for vaping and it's four times higher. The number of youth who are actually vaping are four times higher. And so um, the fear is never what's actually happening, but it is representing what's most visible. And so when we look at the data like this, um, we see perception and then those actual youth rates. Anything jump out on this slide? Said anybody? The depression being very, like, much more realistic yes. compared to. Yes. Um, and frankly, you know, I'd, I'd rather have concerned parents around that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so I'm glad to see that they seem to be acknowledging that, paying attention. Yeah, and you can see that our, um, I'm sorry, the, the, on, sorry, Jim, I'll see, I'll get to you right there. You can see that uh, almost 41% of adults in the community are worried about youth suicide. I chose not to show the attempted suicide number. Our attempted suicide number is 7.1%, which is um, close to a record. It puts us, we fare way better than the state of Washington. But I did share plan to die by suicide, um, which is that step before taking action. And so about 14%, almost 15% of kids told us uh, two years ago, they were considering suicide. They, were, they had made a plan to die. And so, again, this perception is founded. Jim, I'm curious about your thoughts. I, uh, when I look at this, you and I have had these conversations before, Joe. So I, I but I want to bring it again, bring it up again, because what does, uh, Chris, what do you do? I mean, I'm, uh, uh, um, let me ask. Okay, I'll get back to that. What? Sorry. What? Yeah. What I see is, I see the problems. We got them well identified. Who gets this data? 
who it does the health district get this data and what do they do with it if they do i mean we're not we're not looking at the causes i always i'm always looking for the causes these are effects these are the problems these are what we see what are the causes and and so, that's that's what i'm looking for and the, 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 nobody seems to seems to address the problems there we know what they are and we and we we try to resolve that somehow but we're unless somebody's actually looking at the root causes of these things they're going to just going to continue i mean why do they exist in the first place they, they i say the health district because they have epidemiologists theoretically that's what they do is, is there an epidemiologist or two at the health district who take this information and say, hmm, I mean, that's that's what they do. They, they look at causes, uh, or, you know, root causes or whatever. How can we make this better? How can we make these problems go away? I'd like to talk to whomever it is that we have in our community who is actually addressing these problems. Sure. And, and Jim... I think we have Brianna on the call. I, I can't see my full screen yet, but I, I did want to show you that um, how we invest in programs. So over the last 10 years, we've raised over $5 million um, and we invest in programs that help us to reverse or address these risk factors. So in the prevention model that we use, and this is primary substance abuse prevention. So nothing else. I mean, the funding is primary prevention, but we we analyze um, that data. Um, it goes beyond the symptoms. You're exactly right. It goes well beyond the symptoms to look at root causes. And so this is a model that the coalition uses that was developed in the early 90s. And then what you can see is like, okay, lack of commitment to school impacts substance abuse. It impacts juvenile crime. It impacts teen pregnancy, school dropout, and violence. And so the programs that we're funding, Bobbin's Life Skills Training Program, is uh, is uh, is the the world class violence prevention and substance abuse prevention program in the United States. It just has decades of research behind it. The Packs of Good Behavior game we're using um, to prevent mental health um, issues from developing in our elementary school. So we're making some really early investments in long-term health, but I absolutely hear what you're saying about uh, what are the other organizations. I see that uh, Brianna left us. Maybe she heard your question and left. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, 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 I do want you to know that locally, we are trying to address root causes but it's, they're the root causes that our funding allow us to target. So, I guess what I what I want what I'm saying is, it'd be nice, but it'd be more than nice. It'd be uplifting if if there were another column where we have all these facts and figures. I mean, you what with uh, spreadsheets and all seems to me that adding another column might might not be all that difficult. Sure. That, that gives gives some indication of what is being done specifically to address these issues. You're, you've you've given me you've given me what you're doing, but 
but I never, I mean, who knows that other than you? Okay, it's in the newsletter, I promise. If you scroll all the way down to the newsletter, maybe I'll adjust the newsletter by showing what issues they, the programs address. That might be a great idea. I got your back on this, Jim. Just wait for a minute. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm, no, just a, I'm, a, I'm a root cause guy. I, I just can't help myself. You, you make us better, and I'll send you some stuff sorry. on the side, too. I'll send you some stuff on the side. Thank I, you. I, I just, I'm so grateful for you. Uh, okay, so uh, parents named about 43 people selected other drugs as a concern and took the time to type in the drugs they were worried about. And so I've highlighted um, the largest ones. And again, you can see that heroin, fentanyl, prescription and over-the-counter drugs were a large concern that I could have just lumped into one, but people were spelling out um, over-the-counter drugs. They were spending, spelling out fentanyl and heroin separately. So because the respondents considered these separate, I wanted to make sure that they were separate where it was appropriate. Um, for um, three years in a row, meth is clearly on the radar in our community. Um, again, if you're seeing this slide, you know we don't, we don't target strategies at symptoms, like Jim was saying, our strategies are targeted toward um, predictive root causes um, that have been uh, in place for years. And then, Jim, you make me think too, like I'll, I'll reach out to the health district. I'll see if we can get an epidemiologist with us to answer that question. So uh, we'll, we'll spotlight them. Hey, uh, Joe. Yes. Sorry. Hi. That's okay. I was just about to reply in the chat, but I'll just come off mute here and maybe I even Thank on you. camera. Give me a second here. Um, okay. So here I am. Um, I am a prevention staff member with the Snohomish County Health Department. I will say I am not an epidemiologist, so <laughs> please don't ask, ask me any technical data questions, but I do want to say that as a health department, we are very interested in these data sets. Um, I was actually one of the reasons why I was very excited to join today's meeting is because I really wanted to see these results. And um, I actually started talking earlier this fall to our EPIs about, um, you know, reaching out to coalitions to see if these data sets were available to us um, so that we can use them to inform some you know, regional health promotion campaigns or projects, you know, as a direct result of this feedback that we that we're getting from communities. So um, we are very interested in this. And I would, you know, I, I love that this is available through the website and through the newsletter. Um, and it's kind of a, a project for me in the next couple of months to engage with our other other county CPWIs to see if we can't get the same kind of data and start putting some some response um, responses together from the health district side or the health department side. So that's, that's awesome, what I want to say. Yeah. yeah. So every CPWI coalition has this data. Yes. Um, they were required by contract to collect it and it's public data. And yeah, I'm sure you have partners on each of them. So I just, uh, they're waiting for the report to come from DBHR, the Division of Behavioral Health and Recovery, probably in March or April. And yeah. since we have access to the raw data, I just do that analysis myself and That's we'll great. see if we have anything to add. So, uh, yeah. And I mean, we would take raw data as well. So, 
Um, we have we have some resources that we could throw behind, you know, doing some analysis of our own. So um, I just wanted to say that that we're out here and we're very interested. And I know it's something that some of the other North Sound counties do, like Whatcom County definitely works yeah. closely with their coalitions to develop campaigns and things like that. So I'm trying to get us there. But anyway, that's all. You know, could help I, could us I... as a work group, if you're developing a campaign, we'd love, love to support you. Yes. And, and we know every community is unique and different. So, yeah. um, yeah, I'm, I'm out here. Email me. We're glad you're here today, Brittany. Yeah, me too. Thanks. May, may, may I, may I ask the last thing I'm going to say, may I ask you, Brittany, if you would personally take this, my query back to your, um, uh, appointed epi, never heard that term before. Uh, yes. my daughter's an epidemiologist i'm going to ask her if she's heard that um i mentioned she has uh my question i mean i'd be interested to see what the health district considers root causes of, of these things that that joe had listed on the screen i mean why do they exist is anybody at the health yeah. district able to tell me you know the impression, I don't care if it comes out of CDC or wherever, I mean, is, what are they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I think it's a million dollar question and I, I will definitely give it some thought personally, um, how I can answer that in an articulate and eloquent way. And uh, again, I'd be happy to go back to our Epis who might I know have where, a, a different I know kind where, of perspective on that. I know where but, you yeah. are, Brittany. I know where you I'm are. I'm an effort. I'm in, I'm in Rucker. You can't hide. Yeah. Okay. I'm not. I'm here. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. And I'll throw my email in the chat as Thank well you. so you can have it. Yep. Thank you. No, I'm not going to harass you. <laughs> all right. So we also asked parents, I'm sorry, not parents on this, but all adult respondents, um, how, easy it, how easy is it for you to get alcohol and marijuana? On the left side, you see middle school. On the right side, you see high school. Um, on the left side, both middle school alcohol and marijuana are together. And you see that adults in our community think it's fairly easy um, for youth to get access to alcohol. About um, half of respondents, 44%, thought alcohol is easy to get. But then again, uh, almost the same number said it was really hard to get. So, um, um, that's interesting. Oh, I'm reading the numbers wrong. Sorry. Just bear with me. Marijuana um, for middle schoolers. More adults thought marijuana was difficult for middle schoolers to obtain. Um, when we look at high school, you can see that adults in the community believe that both alcohol and marijuana are extremely um, easy to access. And if that's true, um, um, well, what we could do, if, if, the, if the coalition is curious about how true that is, we can look at um, other numbers like uh, uh, density of, of, of uh, alcohol retail outlets in, in the community. We, we could look at um, uh, protocols that retailers have in place. Like, you know, every time I go to Walmart, everything's behind a counter or locked up now. Well, that's great. Amber, I see you. That's great. That's what I was just going to unofficially add is like, you know, unfortunately, a lot of there's an increase in fentanyl 
usage, which my kids tell me that they do. Um, and, um, you know, they're always met with our, our professionals when that happens, but um, it's just cheap. That's what the increase that's it's a simple, yeah. like it's accessible and cheap. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of it. Um, okay. So I'm um, going to keep going just to, Oh, there we go. Going to keep going. So we, we also measure not just perceptions, but attitudes and belief. And overall, um, um, the data show that our community's norms, adult norms are very protective of kids. Um, but like we saw in our, our risk and protective factors, that our, our use favorable attitudes towards substances uh, may lead us to see increased use rates on the 2023 LPU survey. So um, we'll see if that's true or some of the protective buffers that are in place um, will protect us more than other communities. But we did ask parents, I'm sorry, uh, adults, um, how much they thought youth risked harming themselves if they used marijuana um, once or twice. And you can see that um, in middle school, about 40% um, of our respondents told us there was no risk for experimentation. Uh, if if, if uh, a youth used, uh, um, there would be minimal impact. Uh, about uh, the majority does think though, the majority 50.9% does think that um, using experimenting with marijuana will, will be harmful. It looks different when we talk about regular use. That's once or twice per week uh, instead of once or twice ever. And so you can see that uh, that number of people who think regular marijuana use is not harmful for middle schoolers is significantly lower. And the true concern about uh, four in five adults in Monroe are very concerned that uh, uh, moderate marijuana use uh, will be harmful for youth. It looks different when we look at moderate um, prescription medicines that are prescribed. So you can see that um, we're approaching uh, 90, 96% here. So big discrepancy between experimentation with marijuana, regular use of marijuana, and then what we saw in their perceptions of, of concern, you know, again, uh, uh, prescription medicine not prescribed in whatever form, oxy, uh, uh, Ritalin, whatever. Um, also wanted to show you though, our youth rates. So uh, two years ago, when we emerged from the pandemic, um, we asked youth uh, the same thing. How risky is experimenting with marijuana? Almost 80% of youth responded that it wouldn't be risky at all. We asked youth how risky it would be for them to regularly use marijuana. And in middle school, nearly half said it wouldn't be risky at all. And then we asked uh, the same question, how risky is it for you to use prescription drugs not prescribed to you? And uh, here is their awareness. So, so I wanna reiterate what Chris Jury said earlier, which is, you know, we're reaching the point where fentanyl awareness, the risks of fentanyl, it's so high, we're worried about it. It's so widespread and it, it has been reaching our youth because fentanyl is not new. It's been on the rise for about three years uh, at least. And, and so that that sense of risk or harm, which is protective, um, is best felt among prescription medicines. So in Monroe, our kids know, most of our kids know medicine, medicines can hurt you. Those types of, uh, of substances can hurt you. 
you know, but again, the focus then um, is what about marijuana? And so, you know, uh, just presented to the Monroe City Council the other night, they had a speaker in the audience who was uh, advocating for Monroe to lift the retail marijuana ban um, that this coalition helped to advocate for um, 10 years ago. And so it was very interesting to be presenting the coalition's point of view on the same night that um, um, some entrepreneurs wanted to encourage reversing the, the ban. And that ban was one of the coalition's earliest accomplishments through our partnership um, with other members of the community. And so I was able to speak to that and remind the um, council members who were attending that they made such a huge difference. And so uh, we also asked high schoolers the same thing. You can see the same trend. Um, most adults don't think it's risky for high schoolers um, to uh, experiment with marijuana, but they do think it's risky or harmful if they use marijuana. And the same number, almost 96%, um, if they're using uh, prescription drugs. And then the same downward slope, oops, sorry, same downward slope when we're looking at peer, uh, youth perception. Uh, youth in high school, most likely um, to say that um, prescription medicine is the most risky substance that they have access to. Um, but that uh, marijuana is much less risky. What's the other lighter color? The, the lighter colors are the youth. So, yeah, so, what, so the 89, what's the 12%? What's that one representing? Is that the moderate to high? Okay. High school. Oh, so that just carries across this. Yeah, range. I'm sorry. So I just lost you. Yeah, so, so the orange is the number of youth who think it's not risky. The green is the number of youth who think it is risky. Okay. That's a really great question, Morgan. Okay. I I'm didn't know so if, sorry. if the color was like maybe hit on like somewhere else to tell me what the color, color was. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. but it's it goes across, carries across that way. So I get it. So, yeah, one way to read it is 35% of high school youth don't think regular marijuana use is risky. Mm -hmm. The other way, how do we talk about it if we were going to do a campaign? Mm -hmm. We'd say the majority of Monroe High School students think regular yeah. marijuana use is harmful. So as a coalition, we wouldn't focus on this. We we plan for it. Yeah. But as a promotion, we'd focus on. Mm -hmm. Oh, never mind. I said it backwards. The vast majority of Monroe High School tenth graders think that regular marijuana use is not risky. So. But they are aware of the prescription, so they are seeing it yeah. as the high risk in the prescription one. So that's very to start there. You, yeah. So. You, I should just step aside and then you just <laughs> respond. You've been doing a lot of numbers thrown at us. Yeah. I would not be able to. I've, my brain moves the numbers around, so you're doing way better than, than but I So th This is an area that coalition may want to respond to. Um, that uh, um, we might focus on increasing perception of harm. What we have to be really careful about is not crossing in the line into scare tactics or fear arousal. You're going to die. That's not going to work. The, the, the brain at this age developmentally rejects that. And they don't have enough evidence in terms of their peers or family members who have maybe um, had seriously adverse outcomes um, to, to let their experience catch up with what we're trying to tell them. Again, uh, we also asked how wrong is it for your middle or high school age child 
to um, drink alcohol, use marijuana, or use prescription drugs not prescribed to them. And um, what we see is um, both high school parents, there were uh, 80 high school parents who responded, uh, 85 parents of middle schoolers who responded, 100% of adults say prescription medicine use is um, wrong. Um, we're still high, right? So if we were to have a campaign, more than nine out of 10 uh, Monroe parents think it's wrong for kids to drink alcohol or wrong to use marijuana. So this is the norm that's really healthy for us. Chris, you unmuted. Did you want to say anything? No, just uh, just here. <laughs> yeah. Great. And so, yeah, I mean, like for for fentanyl or other use, I mean, this is this is so strong for us to be able to communicate what youth are telling us or what adults are telling us to help that to set the norm. Right. Because I think what our data showed in 2021 was that youth were more exposed to use at home. And that really impacted their attitudes for the first time um, um, for us. So that's why we were in the red on that risk factor. And so being able to communicate messages like this, that adults do think it's wrong, um, might help to bring those favorable attitudes down. It's, it's just a thought, but uh, putting that out there for you. And then this is the last slide I just wanted to share with you. Um, we did ask, do you know where in your community you can get rid of prescription drugs you no longer need? Uh, three, uh, two thirds of adults said yes, but there's still a third of adults who responded who don't know what to do. And our, our, our partner in Sultan, Katie, they just did a prescription drug take back day in November. And they had uh, folks who had shared with them that they've been storing their meds all year. Uh, waiting for the take back day. And so so that was kind of a wake up call for me. Like, yeah, we, we might have to take specific action, partner with Brittany, partner with Rachel at the city and Chief Jolly and, and do some outreach to those 34%. And then more than that, uh, uh, the survey asked a number of questions about how they stored. Were they hidden? Were they locked up? Were they both hidden and locked up? But the bottom line for us, is that only 12% of uh, respondents say they lock up their meds. So there is, um, for me, there's there's clear action we could take if the data says this is right when we get the, the, the survey. So June, we'll be submitting a brand new uh, strategic plan. And so now's the time um, from now until May, we'll be looking at different um, data sets as they become available. Uh, and, and really digging into it to see what we should invest in next year. And so uh, wanted you to have uh, everything. Uh, we're about 10 minutes early. Anybody want to share any thoughts or gut feelings? I know you're overwhelmed with numbers. That's why I shared this with you. If you take a look at it and have questions, email me. Uh, if you have ideas, definitely email me. And uh, we'll bring it back to the coalition. Well, I think that's all we've got today. Unless anybody has any parting words? Merry Christmas. <laughs> I'm, I'm sad to be leaving. I always leave hopeful when I leave you on. 
but I get to be a part of Mill Creek one, so there you I'll go. still get some coalition in my in my blood. So yeah, they need you. They need you. Very grateful. And Alex, I'm, I'm, I know he had to leave early, but 